0: Your sound.
1: Really
0: um, I don't know maybe I flu or something. <laughs> <laughs> it. How's it, how are you doing Fred? I'm good thanks how are you?
1: I'm great hey beautiful beautiful day, chill day.
0: Yeah are you getting vaccinated?
1: I definitely am. Like, people who are coming at me with those anti-vaccine stories must just not even try me. I am not the one. Like, if you come at me in an anti-vaccine situation, I'm just going to say nothing.
0: (laughs) I'm definitely getting vaccinated. Um, as soon as they say that um, under 35 can get vaccinated, I'm registering at midnight. I saw some I'm people doing
2: that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and like I'm single again, so I'm not dating a guy that's not vaccinated. That's on top of my criteria now.
2: <laughs>
0: Bring your
1: vaccination passport, baby. <laughs> I think
2: that's fair. Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> Before we introduce our guests, are you getting vaccinated?
2: Yes, definitely. <laughs> There's no, no way under- about it. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. Um, well, let's get into it. Uh, today, we're doing something really interesting. We've got another guest. Um, what we're talking about today is really like Black women and finances. I think that it's important for us to, you know, see how other women are doing, you know, their financial planning and see, you know, their financial journeys. Because, I mean, we have our own way of doing things. But it's always important, I think, to be exposed to someone who's a professional, you know, who could just give us some advice and, you know, some headers as to how to move forward with your cash done introduce yourself setu
2: thank you hi ladies and to your audience my name is setu shabalala i am a chartered accountant i've been qualified for i think this is my fourth or fifth year Um, (laughs) Uh,
0: thank
2: you thank you um but in a in a nutshell i am a commercial modeling manager which is really just, um, I use data analytics to build financial models for MTN. So I work in the postpaid business um, for MTN South Africa. And yeah, this feels like my dream job. So I'm, I'm really passionate about data analytics um, and finance and marketing, that mix specifically, and technology. Um, but I, I do want to add a bit of a disclaimer that I... You know, I'm passionate about personal finance, and I know a lot about it because I studied corporate finance. But I'm not a I'm not a licensed um, uh, personal finance advisor. Uh, yeah, that's my disclaimer. But yeah, very very passionate about this topic, um, and happy to share my views.
0: Thank. You we didn't really want someone who's like a financial planner from Liberty and (laughs) afforded to buy products. (laughs) You know, we we kind of did want someone who has a bit of a financial background, but also has the lived experience Mm. of experiencing Mm. debt, of thinking about investing, of thinking about paying off, um, and thinking about how you're going to grow in your personal capacity,
1: you know? Yeah, love. So say, tell us your relationship, tell us about your relationship with money and how it has grown over the years.
2: Sure, so when I was very, very young, I always knew I wanted to work in business, but my idea of business was working at a bank because I thought that the women who worked at the bank had money. So from a very young age, I was just like, you know, I mean, I come from a, I'd say, I'd come from a, a humble family um, that you know, in some seasons we were okay in some seasons we were not. Um, but there was definitely a financial struggle, you know, for my parents when we were growing up. Um, and, you know, um, so I learned from a very young age that money was not something that I wanted to be without. Um, and, yeah, I think it, it was it was hard for me because i I think, I don't think any child like you know. It takes a while for you as a child to know that like okay, cool. We, we don't have enough money per se. It's only kind of when your parents start saying it that you're like yeah okay. Is it how bad is it? You know. Mm-hmm. But um, I had I had experiences when I was young where um, my parents they moved around a lot and my parents always wanted to give us the best. And in some seasons of of my young adult life between primary school and high school you know I would my my, my dad would push for me to go to private school and he put me in a school and I once had an experience where I was financially excluded wow. and so wow. I was just like yo hi this is not it you know and but I understood his passion he really wanted me to get a good education but you know the ups and downs of going to a school and then being pulled out of a school that has like a fundamental impact on your view of of finances and 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 just what it means to to grow up with enough so my relationship with finance is I'd say largely risk-based from my lived experience and secondly from being a, a CA you know we're all about managing risk and making sure that we think about the future so my relationship with money is um Definitely about thinking of, you know, the next six months, thinking about am I living below my means, um, you know, how much is too far, um, how much debt do I have, how do I build my assets. But I've spent, I'm 30 years old, I've spent the last, you know, six, seven, eight years of my working life, which is the initial um, eight years of my working life, but I spent most of my time trying to get out of debt, getting out of debt because I'm I'm out of debt now but yeah that's my relationship with money
0: and I, I, I like what you said about the fact that you never really know what like I, I think I had the same experience as you sometimes that I've never really known whether I'm on the right track or not because um I think there's this big thing going on amongst black women because we can only speak about our own experiences where there's shame related to money I mean mm. No one talks about it, so you never know whether you're on the right track or not. And also, you you think you always have bigger problems than the next person. I I don't know why we can never be open about money. It's just always like a private thing where you just hope at some point you'll figure it out or you'll read enough about it.
1: Yeah, I think it's also like a pride. It's got a lot to do with like self worth. I mean, if you're yeah. broke, you really don't feel like the greatest person. But I think we'll touch on that later um, a little later yeah. yeah i quite like um I'd like for you to touch more on what how did you get into debt you as a young professional
2: sure sure so um the first uh time I got into debt was definitely when I bought a car um that was when okay so I have I have uh a uh, student debt but my student debt is interest-free and it's more like uh it's, it's more like, because I signed mine, so I was really lucky. Uh, I, so to summarize, I've got two types of debt. There is uh, my debt with the bank, so my interest-bearing debt, the bad debt. And I first got into that when I bought my first car in 2015, which I had to get because I was working for an audit company and my clients were on the outskirts of Gauteng. uh, Those were all mine. So living in Auckland Park, you know, there was no ways that I could use public transport. So um, I spent some time saving, took a while, you know, um, had to make some compromises before I got a car, but that was how I, I got into debt. Um, then at the end of my articles, I also got into credit card debt or during my articles. Yeah. Um, and that was simply because most of, during most of my articles, my salary was just not enough to get me through the end of the month comfortably. Hmm. It was it's, not
1: like to- you were, it's not like you were going to Diamond Walk and having fun. It's just like, <laughs> it's not, but this is a real thing. So it's like, it's because the basic income wasn't enough to sustain you. It's not because you were like irresponsible. Nothing no. you said sounds irresponsible.
0: I can relate. Yeah. I bought my first washing machine using a credit card for like 5,000 rand. <laughs> I love the story. <laughs> and I'd never had Let's a credit hear. card
2: before. Pardon? Okay. Let's, I want to hear the story.
0: Oh, uh, no. So basically when I first started working, um, my parents helped me out with like the deposit for the rent for my place, right? And like one or two things. And I'd never had any, like, I didn't have like, you know, I avoided, you know, those YDE Edgar's cards because I didn't want to have debt. Um, and then I remember that when I was going to go buy the washing machine, um, I'd been trying to save for it and I couldn't save for it. I, I wasn't going to get there at the right amount of time. But I'd also heard that it's good to have some kind of debt that you're paying off so that you have some kind of, is it like a payment, history? What what is it called, like a credit score? Because basically yes. I didn't have a credit score. <laughs> So then um, I go and I look at different washing machines. I do cost estimates or whatever. And the cheapest one I can get that's still good is like 5,000 rand. So I went off, bought this washing machine for 5,000 rand. And I remember that until I paid off that credit card, I felt like I couldn't breathe. (laughs) Like, like, it was the most amount of money that I owed someone. And I don't know, it felt like, like, gosh, I was going to come to my door every, every month and say, where's my money? So I basically used my salary to pay it off and then was broke again. Couldn't buy bare necessities. And, and I remember at some point in time I wanted to get rid of the credit card because it put so much fear in me. It felt like I was going to spend this money and I wouldn't be able to pay it back. So, yeah, that's the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And then for you, Siti, um when did you realize that, okay, this is, not, this is now something I need to sort, sort out, like it's, it's, a, it's a problem?
2: Sure. I think it was when when your salary comes in and you see how much of it is going to someone else's pocket because you owe them and you're like, but I work the whole month I, and I work these hours, you know. Um, Yeah, it just it just it didn't it didn't balance out. But I will share that, you know, for me, kind of like the. The the real wake up call and I'd say I wasn't financially irresponsible during my articles, but I had an incident where I had taken a job overseas at the end of my articles. Um, And one of the things that it was and this job was in the UK. But one of the interesting things that happened was that this was at the height of Brexit. So I'm at I'm coming to the end of my training contract. I get a new contract in the UK. And so, you know, I'm just going to be, you know, I've got about a month or two of chilling in South Africa, selling off the little bit of nothing that I own to sell, and then I'm going to move overseas. Um, I had about enough money to survive, I'd say, a a month in London. And um, then the interesting that happened is that the company couldn't get me a visa because of brexit so the uk government changed um some of their their visa laws and it essentially was impossible to get a uk visa and the contract that i had signed effectively was rendered um
0: it, void. Was Nalan, yeah. Yeah, it was
2: cancelled yeah it was rendered yeah. it was rendered null and void and so now you can imagine what's happening in the background uh the first thing is I wake up at the end of January hoping to get an email about my visa and they tell me that, oh, no, you know, there's a bit of a hiccup this month. We're going to have to wait next month. So this is not something that they can tell you, right? It's not like this. It's like a bit of a lottery. It happens once a month. So the legal department can only come back to you once every month to say, did you get it or didn't you? Come on anyway, now. to cut sure. the story it's short. Was I wake up in January, I'm unemployed. Luckily, I I was about to sell my car and I didn't. Um, And then for the next five months, effectively, I was out of work uh, because I'd signed a contract with the company in the UK. And after five months, they were like, we've tried. And this is every month they're getting back to me. They're like, not this month, you know. And um, so, yeah, that for me was a huge wake up call. Because now what's happening is I'm, I'm, I'm hanging on to my car, I'm staying with my family in Joburg. I was really, really fortunate I had you know move up, moved out of my place. Um, but I was looking at my savings and I was like, you know, if I don't do something about this, my car is going to erode all my savings and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where and when I'm going to get the next job, but I need to do something about this. So I, I au-paired for about six weeks and... Then I was like, after six weeks, I still didn't have a visa, so I was like, okay, I need to try something else. Reached out to my contacts, my networks, and someone was able to give me a temporary contract for about two months, and that really saved me. And that's when I saw that, like, you know, this thing of of not knowing the condition of your finances or having a plan for at least three months, whether you're employed or not, is dangerous because yeah, it's unpredictable like that. Yeah, no, Cecile, you're not done. You were not done. You were preaching. preaching! <laughs> so, what, what was I? What was I saying? Essentially, it's me saying that, like, you know, in terms of, in terms of, um, credit cards, debt. You know, my my what is called call. Yes, that was my wake up call. That like, it's so important to have a short-term, so in the month, yes, and then a bit of a medium-term plan and a long-term plan, and all three of these things need to align, you know. So in the month, I've got to spend less than I earn. Otherwise, I'm not making money. I'm effectively becoming poorer every month that I work because my salary will always afford me some short-term benefits and more money than an access to capital or someone else's capital that I have to pay for, right? So that's, that's what I'd say informs my philosophy is that, yo, it's so important to have a a vision for your finances, not just, uh, I get paid, you know, and I think, and it shows right in the way that different people behave about money. And, and I do want to stop here and say that I'm not a financial saint. I do have financial weaknesses, like I'm a skincare crazed uh consumer <laughs> so skincare <laughs> is my weakness there is no amount of money I won't spend on on skincare I could I could pay anything for for a product that I know will work. Um but to just every month before I get my salary looking at okay cool how did I do this month? I track my finances, you know um and I, I guess we'll get to this later, but I've spent a lot of time listening to podcasts, reading books. It's so important to me to have my own financial plan, right? And that financial plan does not include a man. You know, if I had one, it would be great, and we'd have this discussion together. But it's not like I think it's also dangerous to kind of be like, "Mm, you know, I'm gonna be pampered, you're gonna take care of me. It is what it is. You know, even if someone is, we'll
0: figure it out. uh, Let's start figuring it out now. uh,
2: yeah you know it needs to be a conversation and and you guys need to work together and you guys need to be honest about like your financial strengths and your financial weaknesses um but having a partner is never an excuse as a woman to never know what's going on with you financially
0: hallelujah but can we start um because you had discussed that you kind of had planned on taking this job in the uk and then because of mm-hmm. Brexit and visa issues, you then kind of have temporary jobs. Um, mm. and then uh, I venture to think that eventually you decided that this UK thing wouldn't work out, and you start, you get back into the South African job market.
2: Yes. Yeah. Um yes. And then
0: now that you have a job, what's your first plan now to pay off this debt?
2: Sure, sure. Um yeah. so so uh thanks for that, Lindy. So sorry. Is there, <laughs> No, it's okay. I think what happened to me is that I got stuck in telling the trauma of my story because I forgot that, that all these things happened. And it was such a traumatic experience. I can only um, imagine. I can, and it's I such a real South African yeah. story.
0: Yo. Yeah, <laughs> no. Um, Interesting but I, enough, all three of us have gone through it. I've gone through it recently. Mo's gone through it recently. Yeah, it can yo. happen at
2: any point in time in your life. Yo. I'm so sorry for us, but I'm so glad that we're here talking about this. Yeah. 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 So, so what happens effectively when I, so, and, and, and I think one of the other things, so we're talking about money, but I think it's also important to talk about assets. And for me, I think one of the things I've always been really blessed with is, um, relational assets, the people that I know, Um, you know, I have no plans of becoming president, but I, I have the suspicion that if I wanted to, the people that I know could help me get there, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, just having a really broad network. I spent a lot of time in my articles going to random events, you know, and I didn't realize that those random events would connect me to people who'd be able to help me find some really amazing jobs. And that's how I landed up at MTN. Um, one of the guys that I knew in articles. He, his company would employ me from time to time to lecture. And then, you know, I was, when I was looking for work, I spoke to him, and he, and then he knew another CA at MTN who was looking for another CA. And he was like, hey, are you planning to stay in South Africa? I was like, yeah, I quit now. I'm not going anywhere. I, I need a job, you know. But what money did allow me to do is that it gave me a little bit of breadth and I wasn't desperate Yes, it was hard. Yes, it was rough. I didn't know where the next job was going to come from. I was attending some interviews. But with my CV, knowing my strengths, knowing that I was really good at networking and that there were jobs on the table. I and having that financial sort of leeway, because when I was doing this temp work, I was still saving money. You know, I wasn't like, oh, no, I can relax now. Now nah, I was like, nah, this money needs to be saved you know, and still contributing a Kaya where I could, because obviously I'm staying with my family, but, you know, they're also feeling the pinch. Um, But one of the things I could do was be a little bit more um, selective about the roles that I was picking. And that's really what money does for you, right? It buys you better options. And so luckily I wasn't so desperate looking for the next job that when this role um, from MTN came, I literally was able to attend the interview. And I think like within three days of interviewing, they they told me that they wanted me for the role. And so that's when the recovery began. Um, It began, and the first thing that I did then was, fortunately, I hadn't racked up debt because of my unemployment. Um, Most of my recovery was psychological. You know, I'd lived for five months with someone else, not in my own space. Um I was, uh, my confidence was, was, was shook, basically, because I was like, how did this happen? Like, I had a plan, I interviewed for so many roles the year before. So the first thing was just to get my mind right. And then once I could start doing that, I could start saving. Um, and the first, one of the first few things that I spent time on um, was actually, and this is before saving, I suppose, is actually paying off my credit card. That's one of the first yeah. major yeah. missions that I got to. I think I owed, how much did I owe the bank? Maybe like 20, 30K, somewhere there. Mm. You know, and it's all relative, but like, hey, yeah, for me, like anything above the temp- ah, It was a lot. It's it, like, it was a
0: lot. It was a mountain. Just to ask, um, do you have a specific reason why you started with the credit card debt, or was, is what was it because it was the highest amount, or it had the highest um, interest rate, or sure, just,
1: yeah, because I sure. do so think in India I like that. Because I do think a lot of people who are now unemployed will start getting jobs and will not even know what to start with, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Sure, that's a good question. Um. So on the on the debt, right? I, I said that I had car debt, I had credit card debt, and I had no savings. And yeah. I would I would say having no savings is a form of debt as well. Um, mm-hmm. If we're being really conservatives, if you don't have money for yourself, you owe yourself money. Mm-hmm. So um, you owe yourself mm-hmm. money. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll tell you why I started with the credit card. The credit card so yes you're right lindy the credit card is the most expensive form of debt um in general even if you have like the, the best private banker like the rates they charge on a credit card is still probably a lot higher than the rates that 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 good bank will charge you on a, on a mortgage or a house you know because yeah. also that's also secured yeah. lending this is unsecured lending like there's nothing backing the stuff they can't they can't go back and sell those Gucci bags that you bought or whatever else you did with the money on <laughs> the credit card. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that was why I paid off the credit card first and to the point that you made about um, the money you, you owed on the washing machine. Like, yeah, it's not nice to owe somebody money, especially when you owe somebody money and you spent it on something that doesn't generate an income. It's different. Yeah. Than- maybe you have a business and you know you've got some cash flow coming in to supplement that debt um the nature of my credit card was yeah it was not supplementing or supplemented by any cash flow i had to pay that back yeah, yeah. how how
0: did you pay it back did you do like monthly installments or big trans payments
2: Cool, that's a that's a great question. So how I paid it back was so I and I guess this is where it's important to understand your 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 behavior with money. I'm the kind of person who if I see lots of zeros in my bank account, I'm going to think that I have money, regardless of whose money that is. So mm. it was really important for me to reduce the limit. So what I'd do is I'd get paid. Um, let's say I would get paid 100 rand and I owe the bank 50 rand, then I'd be like, okay, you know what, I'm going to pay off 10 um, and then I'm going to tell the bank to reduce the limit so that at the end of the month, my limit is 40. So that with time, as I'm paying it off, the limits get smaller and then I can no longer spend more than what's coming in or whatever I've agreed with myself. That's 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 how I did it.
0: So
2: how long did you, did you take
0: you?
2: It took me, it took me, I'd say probably just under a year. It took me a while because I was also moving into a new place. I had to buy a bit of furniture. Um, there were a couple of things that I needed to do. I think at some point my parents might have been renovating something. Um, but yeah, uh, there was no pressure, but I was just like, hey, I'm going to kind of like phase it in. I also don't think that you should go cold turkey, you know. You mustn't start, like, have a month where all you're eating is beans because you're paying off debt. Like, I don't think it needs to be that extreme. You can be living <laughs> life, right, right? Hey, you can be living life, yeah. You just need to be disciplined, and you need to be honest with yourself. And I'd say probably the second and the most important thing is understanding how do I get into debt in the first place. Mm, so yeah, yeah. I would get into debt because, let's say, maybe – there was a time where, you know, there was a December holiday before then and I wanted to be comfortable at home and I went on holiday and I used that extra chunk of money. So it was like, okay, well, you know, if I got into debt because I like to go on holiday, then definitely I'm not going on holiday until we pay this off and I'm not using the money to to finance a vacation or something like that. And we need to have cash dollar to fund things like that recreational
0: things yeah yeah but i like that that like um, you didn't decide to basically eat pup and beans you kind of chose a figure <laughs> in your head and you kind of calculate how much time you would need but then you didn't stop everything until the debt had been paid you still allocated money to other things like furniture and actually moving to the next step in your life because i remember i was reading somewhere under um, i think i think she calls herself the fitness bunny or
2: something. Yes, Nicolette, yeah. Yeah, yeah Nicolette.
0: Absolutely. So um, she had had this whole post about talking about um, should you get a car or not get a car? And some guy at the bottom commented and said a car is a waste of money. He has three properties and he uses um, public transport and he would rather keep servicing that debt uh, for the three different properties as opposed to like having a car. And in my mind, I was like, I couldn't survive without a car. I'd rather have one property and a car than you know
2: yeah. walk
0: everywhere. But I have this portfolio of properties. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: it is something
0: where you have to have some kind of balance for yourself in your personal capacity. When you
1: when, when you finally declared yourself debt-free, how did you feel?
2: Sure, guys, I was so proud of myself. Um and I, I know I celebrated. I'm trying to figure out what I did, whatever I oh, how did I celebrate? Did I? I'm not sure what I did. I'm not sure if I bought myself a MacBook. I don't know, but I (laughs) definitely celebrate it. I definitely celebrate. (laughs) I think it's so important. And I think, you know, even psychologically speaking, even if you are someone who is always setting goals and achieving them, like you you motivate your, your mind psychologically to do more of the good things if you reward yourself for them at the end of the day. So, yeah, that's what I, I don't remember what I did, but I did celebrate. I love
1: it. I love, um, I want to just also speak on maybe what Stacey does a lot in her WhatsApp statuses, and sometimes she does it on Instagram, so you can follow her on Instagram, where you talk about shades, right? Um, but I feel like this um, world of, you know, equities and so on and so forth, it's like a different world with its own jargon. Um, and what made you start you know, adventure venture into that world, specifically as a young black woman. I mean, you're not going to say that you saw an aunt once who was trading or, you know, what the case is. we don't have anything relatable to look at. I'm really interested to know, how did you say, okay, is it school? Okay, I'm going to start getting into this world that's just completely, you know, out of touch for, for a layman in a
2: sense. Mm, mm, no, that's a great question. Um, so I knew about shares because I studied... Corporate finance, but I didn't know the mechanics of shares and equities. So from that perspective, you know, it's like someone can tell you about Italy; they can show you pictures, but until you go there, you don't really have your own relationship with Italy, right? And I think it's the same thing. So and then maybe another point I want to make here is that um, you, we all probably have friends who work in banking and finance and who are also CAs, but I just want to highlight that just because you studied a thing, uh, it can still show you the flames. just like everybody else. You can still be drowning in debt because money is about behavior and psychology and we don't always make rational decisions around it. And that's got nothing to do with the degree that you graduate with. Um, So, yeah, but to come back to your, your question in terms of, where did that come from? The the shares. How did I engage with them personally? So, I knew two things when I started. You know, I'd say my good permanent job and uh, at MTN, and that was I knew that I had to build my own portfolio with time um, once I got out of debt uh, and and have some assets. But the 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 challenge. So and I had kind of two options. It was it was either I was going to get a bond and buy a place. And then, you know, that was going to be my next major commitment. Um, or because again, you know, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still early in my career having a bond and then, you know, trying to do shares at the same time and then trying to sneak in a vacation here and there, eh, it's going to be a bit tight. So I was like, okay, I'm all about pacing, right? I don't think you should like force everything, you know, and, um, I'd say a lot of my friends have properties. I don't have property, you know. So I knew early on that I had to build some kind of assets. And I was like, okay, let's look at the types of assets that I could build. Um, There are many different, uh, in technical terms, there are many different types of asset classes. But I'd say they're, broadly speaking, they're major ones. And that's property and then, you know, buying more flexible sort of non-physical assets like shares. And for me, it was, you know, honestly... I wanted to do a couple of things in my career. I know I still want to pursue a master's. And so I was like, "Ish, I need to have the flexibility to study when I need to study. So I was like, I'm going to wait on the property front. And also property is a really expensive asset class. It's not just paying for the bond. It's the initial costs and, 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 and. Um, so I was like, I can wait. I can wait on the property front. So then it was okay, then I've got to put money into something that is going to generate good value over a long term. And that was an easy decision to make, that it, it was shares. So in terms of getting started, I listened to a lot of podcasts. The podcast that I listen to, and I still listen to them today, is there's, um, on 702, there is, This is awkward, but I listened to The Money Show on 702. I almost forgot the name of the podcast. I listened to The Money Show on 702 um, by Bruce Whitfield, and he has a segment somewhere in the week each week where he talks about personal finance with a guy called Warren Ingram. Um, and I really like Warren. His advice is really practical. And I think he's a financial advisor. Definitely. Yeah, he is. And, you know, each week he'd talk about, he'd do short little 20, 15, 10 minute segments about, you know, personal finance and he'd break it down and, you know, in layman's terms. And I was like, hmm, you know, I could do this. I could build a portfolio. And a lot of the, the advice was around, building an ETF a portfolio, which stands for exchange-traded funds, which is basically a basket of shares. Because the other thing with shares is, and I think this is what makes them so intimidating, is how do you know which share is the right share for you to buy? Also, different shares are good for different strategies. So I, I completely get why people are a bit like share averse, because it's like, what's that thing? A little bit about how I feel about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. I'm like, mm. Watch this thing, how does it work? But yeah. I, so- I
0: also always think every time like, I'll tell you that the share price for sassol has dropped, is that if you own shares, there are you like oh, time to sell. You know? So it's like, what if I'm at work in a meeting and it's time to sell? Like, <laughs> what am I gonna do? <laughs>
2: to simplify it, I think I I like ETFs and I, for anyone starting out, I mean, you know, I'm always sending my family members links to like that tricks and links to how ETFs work, because the reality is as a professional, my, to be perfectly honest, as someone who has a, a, an eight to five, um, my real investment is my time. And my time currently is in my professional corporate job. And I love that. And I truly believe that in the long term, that's probably going to yield probably one of the greatest returns for me. Um, And it has because that's how I got to where I currently am. Um, So it's important then for me to be able to focus on that. And so as a result, I can't then be jumping and down every day and looking at Sasol prices, uh, you know, looking at boards, share prices, you know. So I do have individual shares here and there that I bought last year during the pandemic because I felt they were cheap. In hindsight, I wish I'd bought more of them because they were so cheap compared to where they are now. But I think the most important thing is just start with some exchange traded funds. And I think what's really, really important is diversification. So what I want to explain is if you are a salaried um, individual living in South Africa, the reason for having ETFs that are not South African, you should definitely invest in, in South African ETFs, but allocate, allocate either do a 50-50 split or maybe 30% South Africa, 30, 70% like other developing or developed markets. I'll mention some of the ETFs uh, that I, I'm a fan of and that I have, uh, investments in if you, if you can remind me if I forget um, but essentially the reason why you should do that is you've got retirement funds, pension funds that your company invests in on your behalf um, and you get you also get taxed in this country and all the money that you make revolves around this country. Um, but specifically on the on the retirement funds, Um, The rules for retirement funds are also such that a lot of that money is concentrated in South Africa, meaning that the growth is limited to our home market. Now, that's bad because you're concentrating all of your risk. Well, it's not bad, but you're concentrating your risk in one area. And as we've seen with COVID, in fact, classic example for me is this vaccine rollout, right? I think I read somewhere that Canada is has bought like over 200 million vaccines they're a population of around 30 million that's half the size of south Africa, but they could vaccinate south africa about three and a half times with the amount of vaccines that they have that clearly to me as, as someone looking at canada from a financial perspective i'm sitting there saying canada is basically gone back to normal all the illnesses all the risks I imagine that a lot of it has, you know, been alleviated because essentially people in Canada should be going back to well, maybe a, a new normal, but they're they're not facing the same challenges, business challenges, economic challenges, growth challenges. I expect the Canadian market to, you know, to have normalized quite a bit. To normalize, yes. Um, But if I were to compare Canada to South Africa, which is really unfair because they're a developed market, but solely on the basis of that vaccine rollout, I can clearly expect that Canada's growth should be quadruple what the South African uh, GDP will be. And that's important. GDP is important because it's like South Africa's potential is the ceiling of the potential of your money performing in those retirement and pension funds. And so why then would you, when you invest, in equities put that money back into this country when we can see that i mean kudos to the government for the vaccine rollout but in comparison to where we could be um, yeah we're struggling hey we're struggling so you want your money to perform as well as it possibly can so you look for some of the high flyers yeah
0: and may i ask a question what's the sure. um i think you said etf and the unit trust
2: Sure. So, yeah. Uh, an ETF. Okay. Broadly, to be perfectly honest, I'm not too sure of the technical details, but yeah. I know that the laws the laws around unit trust and ETFs are slightly different. Broadly okay. speaking, okay. you can have a unit trust that functions like an ETF. Um. But is es- essentially, yeah. Hey guys. This is, I'd have to Google this one. I actually mustn't even lie and say I know what it is, technically speaking, but I've got both. Um, and I would say that I yeah, would Yeah, I wouldn't
0: really want the technical <laughs> it, um, explanation. It's just that in my mind, you know, they kind of work in the same way, that you're not necessarily picking a specific um, As a fund. It's multiple uh, yeah. things combined, which is almost like mm. what an ETF is, right?
2: Yes. Yes. Um, I think from what I from what I've read up about and in terms of research, essentially a- agreed, yes, they are a basket of assets where unit trusts will differ for me and why I'm not I'm more likely to buy an ETF than a unit trust. And I'll tell you that's because one unit trust, a lot of unit trusts are sold by you know insurance banking companies, and so the fees are higher. What wow. I love about ETFs is that ETFs um, are known for having really small expense ratios, i.e., basically costs. And yeah. uh, an expense ratio is just basically um, the cost of selling you that ETF. And I know that unit trusts. Firstly, my issue with unit trusts is that some of them, it's really hard to find out what is the what is the cost of this unit trust, um, and it should be a percentage of the fund. Um, I yeah. won't get into the. Technical details, but broadly speaking, a good cost of an ETF is like 1%, 2% um, of the fund, I think. But it's usually quoted in percentages and it's usually really low. So you over time um, you save a lot because costs over 20, 30, 40 year period make up a significant amount of of that sh- of that item's performance. And so traditionally etfs because they're so much cheaper you know and also they're very transparent the etfs i buy my etfs on on satrix and easy equities it's the same platform but different companies but it's really easy to use from from the learnings that i've I've had
1: Um, i want to touch on that so did you just download this app and just get going after we after listening to the podcasts if you could do like a three-step guide as to how you you set up your account. Would you be able to do that like simplified or should we really do the the reading here and get into the research?
2: No, no, you you don't need to do the reading. Guys, I'm such a a a fan of ETFs that like I've said, my cousin and I have been talking about instead of giving kids birthday gifts, we want to put money into satrix funds. But the challenge we have is that a lot of the parents in the family don't know what Satrix is, kind of have to explain to them what this thing is, but, you know, we're, we're really passionate about this. But to simplify it, um, no, you don't need a textbook. I think um, before you put your money into an ETF, maybe the best thing to do would be um, to go onto YouTube and just say, what is an ETF, Satrix. You know, I'd say start there. Have a conceptual understanding of what you're doing because it will inform how you build your portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. There are some ETFs, like, uh, let me try and find an example. There are some ETFs, let's say like um, the the world ETF. Let me give an example, right? There's a world ETF, which is essentially global markets. Um, But this ETF could essentially have a bulk of it, developed markets. And then a bulk of that you will find is the U.S. Now, if you don't understand what an ETF is, you could you could be like, oh, okay, cool. I'm gonna buy the world market. I'm gonna buy lots of the U.S. market as well. And then, what you're essentially doing is you're investing mostly in you know the developed U.S. market. So if you don't understand what you're investing in, then you could you know do some double investing that you might not necessarily need and also it's better to have a few etfs you don't need 10 etfs that's really important you need like i'd say start with one and if you can get to three great but make sure that you also want to minimize the the cost that you have so to come back to this it's go on to youtube and look up a video of what is an etf um and then the second thing would be to Go and download Satrix or Easy Equities. I'll tell you the difference between these two. Essentially, Easy Equities on Easy Equities, you can buy all the ETFs you can buy on Satrix. But on Easy Equities, you can also buy individual shares, um, which is great, uh, especially if you don't bank with a company that uh, already gives you a share trading platform. So that becomes really important. Uh I think, because some some of the banks, what they do is you can have a bank account, but the minute you want to start buying shares, you have to be like a wealth client or you need a specific type of account. and It's just like Mm -hmm. those problems. So, yeah. And then I would say a good, So, so the third steps would be, okay, cool. So what type of ETFs should you be looking at? So the first thing I'll say as a preface to this as well is that the money that you put into ETFs has got to be money that you plan on not using in the next minimum one year, but ideally three to five years. It needs to be money that you're going to forget about. It, mm. it can't be the importance then of, of what I had said earlier, that like you actually owe yourself money. Uh, after the credit card, after the debt, um, you need to have your own go-to fund for the emergencies, right? Start with a the month, then build on to, I think at three, you can relax uh, or you can continue on to six. But yeah, after, after two, three months, I think you can start to then say, okay, now I've got an emergency fund. I'm going to start putting my money into equities. Um, and that's important because your equities performance is going to go up and down. And one thing that I'd really like people to understand is that there isn't a single asset class that can outperform your debt. Um, if, it, if it exists, uh, that, that performance is unpredictable, and it's definitely not long-term. It's very mm. risky to, to one, take out credit to invest in equities. Terrible idea. Don't do that. Mm. Um, and secondly, it's the importance then of get rid of the debt first, because debt is expensive. And it's designed that way. Because mm. debt punishing you for being out of pocket. And guess what the bank does with your debt? They go and put it in all of these equities and other asset classes and make money off of your money. So, yeah. I don't know if I have the question.
1: Yes, you have. You are
2: preaching to
1: me. I'm writing notes during our podcast. Can you believe
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> Is there like a, a minimum spend,
1: right, for like an
0: ETF? So, for example, you know when you kind of I invest in certain things, I'll be like, you know, you have to put in at least a thousand Rand to see something, or mm. you can even start as little as a hundred Rand and see how it goes.
2: So that's what I love about ETFs, that there is no minimum. If there's a minimum, it's like 10 Rand. You can yeah. literally invest 10 Rand a month into an ETF. Um, of course, the larger your, the sizes of your investment the cheaper your transaction costs are, um, if I'm not mistaken. But I would say making 12 investments into an ETF in the year or 10 is better than making an investment when you get a bonus once a year because you're building a savings culture into your mindset. You're 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 also creating the mentality that if I decide to go to Tanzania next month, there is an opportunity cost of Tanzania. And therefore, I'm not going to get to X goal that I was planning to get to at the end of the year. I will, you know. Uh, I mean, go to Tanzania. That's great. Well, that's my plan anyway in a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> I might
0: tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to ask, like which is related to the minimum spend is that like for me personally, we were talking earlier about diversifying and I think you meant it more for ETFs, but I also thought about it in general that like mm-hmm. with me, I have some of my money in an RA, some of my money in a fixed deposit. And then, mm-hmm. you know, my next step is looking at investing. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe like, for example, ETFs. So let's say, for example, I have 2000 Rand left in a month. Um, yes. Would, it would for me be something like, hey, a thousand rand going into my savings, a 500 rand is going into my trip to Zanzibar fund, and then the 500 mm-hmm. rand is going into my ETFs. Would it be something like that, as opposed to saving 500 rand a month and then putting in 6,000 rand at the end of the year into an ETF? I think that's what you were saying.
2: Yes, it's better to, to yes. Yeah, so that first plan that you mentioned, that is mm-hmm. totally fine. So if you want to take five hundred rand, um, and put it in every month, that's great. Another thing is that so the, the thing about equities is that equities, uh, and I, and I'm sure you guys have probably seen this in the news, like prices change constantly every day. So yeah. what that is that if you take that 6,000 rand, you could be investing at the end of the year in December when prices are really high versus if you buy every month, you kind of average out the cost of the same investments because you're buying the same thing, right? Yeah. You're, you're buying an underlying business that's growing, its performing, its, it's performance is going to change. And either way, whether... So pri- it's good for you when prices... so. I think something else that people should get comfortable with as well is let's say we were to buy um some sasso shares for example let's say we had 20,000 rand and we could put this 20,000 rand in now in July or we could put it in in bits and pieces over the next um say 6 months or however long um so let's say we we invest like 5,000 rand today or 2,000 rand today And then we start seeing the share price dropping. And it's like, oh, you know, this investment that I bought, like the value is decreasing. Um, It's a good thing for you when an asset class goes, the price goes down because it just means it's cheaper today, meaning you'll get more of it um, at a lower, you'll get more of it at the same amount that you're willing to invest in. So, of course, I'm assuming that this is a, This is a share that's going to perform over the long term. I can't speak for Cecil. I'm not very close to that share. But this is, again, it's better if it's an ETF, right? Because an ETF is a basket of shares. But it's good for you when prices come down in the market because it means that you can buy more for the same amount. So when prices come down, you you should kind of double up your investments, actually, when prices come down. Um, cause also, it's good like for you. How you
0: did last year during the pandemic.
2: yes, yes, and I, I I wish I had done way more than what I did because I'm looking at how the prices have come up, and it's just like, yeah, I was playing games.
1: Thank you. Too. This is really, yeah. really informative. Um, thank you so much uh, for, you know, being honest with us. I don't think um a big thing that you've really like you've been really forthcoming with your truths. and I think that, um, this conversation will definitely help someone out there who's trying to figure out how to be, you know, financially more responsible, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I quite like what you said, Uti, and uh, you're not waiting for a man in order for you to be financially, you know, Comfortable, and that's really important. I really, really love that, and that's why you mentioned all these different types of, you know, investments. That's really, really great. So, on my side, thank you so much for your time, and thank you so much for your honesty. I really enjoyed that.
2: It is an absolute pleasure. Look, I think you know, even if I I had the partner that was right for me, I think my the partner that's right for me would appreciate the work that I've done. They wouldn't be belittled by it. You know, it would kind of like be a team effort. You know, I'm kind of a bit nerdy about finances. So, you know, um, I do hope to find somebody who feels the same way about money as I do. And where can (laughs) people find you? Just like where can they find you? Oh, my soul. So this is um, hilarious. So people can find me. uh, I'm... (laughs) Yeah, where am I? Because I share most of my insights on WhatsApp stories to perfect donors, and the they reason for that you. is <laughs> 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 because I'm like, ish. guys, you know, I there was a stage where I wanted to share these videos, like on YouTube. I started a channel, and then I t- I tore it all down because I was like, I'm focusing on my telco career. Um, so then I kind of just disappeared off of public platforms, but I am on Instagram um and yeah i'm not ai don't know i because i'm like hey guys this influencer live. i'm not sure hey um but i have an
0: I, idea but we'll take it offline that maybe we should do um a live like when all of us are free and then people can yeah, ask yeah. questions like on the comment box or something that we that can cool. discuss Because I would love to have a discussion with you about, um, you know, there is a big craze right now about everyone buying property. um, Mm. And I think that's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all decision, you know. So I liked that aspect that you didn't run and buy property. You decided, actually, what works better for my lifestyle? Mm. Mm. So that's one of the things I think would be nice to discuss a little bit further next time or on the live. Yeah.
2: Totally, totally. Um, I, I'm definitely keen to come back. I really enjoy listening to you guys. I listened to the episode you guys did on borrowing friends' money. Yo, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> that was hilarious. Um, and deep, also. I was like, damn, you know. But we all have those stories. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed it, but. To sum up in closing, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, that's my professional profile. I am on Instagram at sitwice. Um, I ramble about random things uh, yeah, when I have a moment. But, yeah, that's me. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank bye. you for joining us. Bye. Pleasure. Bye.